Well, Zakira Ahmed was born in Pakistan in 1982 to strict fundamentalist Muslim parents. They raised her to honor Allah and his prophet Muhammad. And they also instigated within her a hate for the infidels. Infidels included Christians and Jews. And she was growing up to give her life to Allah. Now, when, uh, when Zakira was reaching the age to go into high school, most Muslim parents did not let their daughters go on to, in their education. But Zakira's family decided that they would let her on one exception. She would have to join up with a strict, fundamentalist, conservative Muslim group that longed to see Sharia law instituted within Pakistan. So she joined this group, and her parents let her go to high school. In this group, she and her group mates, classmates, whatever you would call them, were learning all about their faith and the importance of giving everything to Allah. And the greatest gift that a good Muslim could give was their life. And if these teenagers would give their life for Allah in a suicide bombing to take out the Jews and the Christians, not only would Allah allow this Muslim to go into heaven, but their parents as well. Now, Zakira's dad never fully accepted her. He wanted a son, and he was deeply disappointed to have a daughter. And so Zakira thought, if I volunteer for jihad to give my life as a suicide bomber, to take out the infidels, perhaps my parents would love and accept me. So when the instructor asked who would give their life to jihad, at the age of 18, Zakira raised her hand. She was right. When she went home, she told her parents what she had done. And they were thrilled that their teenage daughter was willing to strap a bomb on, on her chest underneath her Islamic robes to walk into a busy, crowded area where Jews and Christians would be and to take out as many as she could. Well, two days before Zakira's suicide mission, she was in her bedroom on her prayer rug saying her early morning Muslim prayers. And as she's praying, all of a sudden, she's in a dark graveyard. She's trying to figure out what in the world just happened. And she can barely see. Her eyes are trying to adjust. And suddenly she senses bodies inside of graves, people trapped in the cemetery. And the thought hit her, I think I just died. And in her fear, she calls out, Allah, please be merciful. And she starts scrambling, trying to look for some sort of exit. But as she's fumbling around in the dark, all of a sudden she sees a light in the distance. And the light starts to draw just a little bit closer. And the closer it comes, the more she starts realizing it's not just a light. The light has arms. It has legs. The light was a man. And suddenly the light got close enough that she could now hear him. And the light man said, come, follow me. But in, in her fear, she yells out, no. She has no idea who or what this light is. And then suddenly the light man says back to her, Esther, come and follow me. Well, that really confused Zakira. She thought, well, maybe this light man's confused. So she says, I, I am not Esther. I, I am Zakira Ahmad, and I will not follow you. And then suddenly the light man said, my daughter, come and follow me. Suddenly something stirred within Zakira. 
And, and she couldn't help it, but she now suddenly wanted to follow him. And before she knows it, she's on her feet, walking down his light path, following him out of the graveyard. And she thinks, maybe this is my path out of this darkness. But as they're walking, the light man suddenly stops. And he looks down at a grave. And he says, come out. And suddenly, a dead man rises out alive. And Zakira just is stunned. Jaw drops down. She looks at this light man and says, who are you that you give life to the dead? And he turned to her and said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Zakira had never heard these words before. But at this utterance of them, she found herself blurting out, then please help me out of this graveyard. And with that, the light man just simply reached over and took her hand. And as soon as he touched her, she found herself standing before a golden ocean. It was like light emanating out of it. Almost seemed like they were crystals. And then she sensed this huge golden wall behind her. And it was almost like it was pulsating. Like it was alive. And she, she's taking it all in. Just in absolute utter awe. She suddenly wakes up and she's back in her room on her prayer rug. The dream deeply bothered Zakira. So much so she couldn't stop thinking about it. And she went to school that day. She ends up telling one of her friends about the dream. But it turns out that the friend was a Christian. And the friend says, you just had a dream about Jesus. And so she gave her a cassette tape and two books, one of which was the Gospel of John. But Zakira was so freaked out to receive the enemy's material that she destroyed it. Well, the very next day, Zakira is leading her mom to the hospital. Her mom has an appointment. And as Zakira goes into the waiting room, a, a man greets her. But he doesn't use the typical Muslim greeting. And so Zakira asks him about this. And he says, well, that's because I'm a Christian. And she looks at him thinking, two Christians in two days. And she says, why are you a Christian? They sit down and they begin to have a conversation where he explains from both the Bible and the Quran why he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In her curiosity, she sets aside her suicide mission and she and John begin to secretly meet to study the Bible, to read the Quran, to figure this out. Well, one day in her study, she reads about a character in the Bible. It's from the Old Testament. It was a woman by the name of Esther. Suddenly, Zakira finds herself going, what? There, there's a person named Esther. That's the name of that guy in the dream. So she finally confesses to John the dream that she had. As soon as she finishes telling him the dream, John doesn't say anything. Simply reaches over, grabs his Bible, and he reads to her, John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As soon as Zakira heard those words, she began to cry. Because she now knew without a shadow of a doubt that the light man was Jesus. And he and only he was able to bring her out of her spiritual death, out of her spiritual darkness, and lead her into life and light and spiritual freedom. And so on that day, Zakira became a follower of Jesus. And as she chose to follow Jesus, she knew that deep down inside, she could no longer be Zakira. She needed to be Esther. And so she asked John to start calling her Esther, but she told no one else. Because she knew if she goes home and says, Mom and Dad, I'm no longer Zakira, 
I am now Esther, follower of Jesus. It would not just mean she would be kicked out of the house. She would probably be killed for her faith. So she began to meet secretly with John to continue to study the Bible, to continue to learn about her newfound faith. Well, several months later, as Zakira is now about 19, her, her mom and dad start pressuring her, saying, we want you to marry this particular Muslim man. And, and Zakira says, no. And she argues with them and fights with them. Well, privately, mom comes to her and says, why won't you abide by the wishes of your parents? We want this. This is a good thing. And Esther looks at her mom and says, I can't. Because I want to marry a Christian man. Suddenly, mom starts getting angry. Why in the world would you want to marry an infidel? And Zerakira says, that's because I am now Esther, follower of Jesus. Mom became so enraged, she began to beat her daughter. And yet, she did not tell her husband. Because she knew her husband would not just stop with a beating. He would actually kill her only daughter. And so for a few more months, it remained secret. Mom knowing what's happened with her daughter and her daughter living on the edge, knowing at any moment she could lose her life because of her faith. Well, long story short, dad ended up finding out. Goes to the mosque, tells all of his friends who are devoted to Allah, and together they all go to find Esther to kill her. God miraculously spares her life. She actually spends the next several weeks and months defending her faith. She ends up marrying John, and they end up fleeing and traveling around Pakistan to hide because dad actually goes on a mission to kill his daughter and her husband. They eventually were able to escape to Malaysia where they were for a few years, and then just a handful of years ago, they were able to come to the United States where they now currently live. I read about the story on the internet this week because... Zakira, now Esther, released a book called Defying Jihad. It was released this past July and it is now on the number one bestseller list in some sort of category on Amazon because Amazon has so many categories. I think every book gets the number one uh, ranking. I have not read the book, so I'm sure I have not gotten all the details, possibly even botched a few. It's, it's reading a portion of the book and then an, an uh, article that was uh, uh, from an interview with her. But the reason I tell you uh, Esther's story is because what she went through is what I think we, as Jesus followers, need to realize. That as we're looking at this cost of Christmas series, it's not just going to cost you your reputation or, or your livelihood or some of your resources. That really, truly, to follow Jesus means it could potentially cost you everything, much like it did to Esther. So far in this series, we've been looking at different biblical characters, and we've been seeing what the first Christmas cost them, and realizing that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it might cost you the same thing. In week one, we looked at the story of Mary and Joseph, and we discovered that the coming of Jesus cost them their reputation. And then the next week, in week two, we looked at the shepherds, and we saw the risk that they took by leaving their sheep behind to go and see the newborn Christ, and they sacrificed their livelihood. And then last week, we looked at the wise men, seeing that by them traveling a year to give these lavish gifts, to spend probably just a few moments with this one-year-old Jesus, and then travel a year back, they gave an exorbitant amount of their resources because of Christ. Now, what we've done so far is, is probably fairly typical within a lot of Christmas Advent series. 
Yeah, we look at this story every single December, and, and you just kind of gravitate towards the same characters, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, you know, the angels. And, and sometimes because you look at the story every single year, you, you got to get creative, to, like look at it from a different angle. And so some people actually go so far as to create fictional characters. Like I've heard stories about the donkey that carried Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And what was he feeling and thinking as all of this was taking place? You know, I wonder what the tree felt when it was being cut up to be made into a feeding trough in a manger and Jesus is the one who gets laid in it. Or one of my favorites about the little lamb named Joshua who had a limp leg and all the other sheep made fun of Joshua because he couldn't go out in the, the uh, fields that night. But that meant he got to stay in the stable and be the first sheep to greet Jesus. But there's one character that's right there in the Bible that we often don't go and look at. And that's because he's the star. It's Jesus. Now, perhaps you're saying to yourself, but, but wait a second, like all of Christmas is about Jesus. Like we call it his birthday. We, we you know, we sing songs about him and, you, and you're right. And I, I know many of you, your faith is deep and you have spent time really thanking Jesus for coming to this earth. But sometimes I wonder, have we really stopped and pondered? What did it cost Jesus? I mean, we, we see what it cost Mary and Joseph. We see what it cost the shepherds. We see what it cost the wise man. But what did it cost Jesus himself? And what we're going to discover today is that Christmas cost Jesus everything. And if we're going to follow Jesus, it might cost us the same. So to help us see this today, I've invited Corey and Cheryl Madura to come and read to us Philippians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, would you please go ahead and open it up to Philippians 2. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen. You're going to be able to read along as they read aloud. Um, but if you don't have a Bible, would you please do one of two things? Would you either stop by our Give and Grow table afterwards and pick up a paper copy? We've got two different translations. We'd love to give one to you as a Christmas gift. Also, if you have a smartphone, download a Bible to it and then feel free to use that here. We are totally okay with digital Bibles. So before Corey and Cheryl read from Philippians 2, I want to pray that our hearts and minds would be ready to receive from God's words. Would you join me in prayer? All right, so Heavenly Father, um, as we come to the scriptures, I ask that you be our guidance. You be our, our director. You be our counselor. Would you help us to hear what we need to hear? Would you help us to see what we need to see? Would you do in us what you need to do so that we can become the people you see us to be? Uh, so Lord, would you help us to now hear from you to, to uh, accept whatever you have for us and that we would be willing to sacrifice everything because you, Jesus, did that for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All right, thank you very much, Baduras. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a few parables. Uh, a parable is a story with a point. He tells a couple of parables that are only about one sentence long. I, I want to read one of them to you. It's, it's known as the parable of the hidden treasure. It's Matthew 13, 44, and it goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has 
and buys that field. Now, most likely when Jesus told that story, it, it was a fictional story, something that he created to help make his point. But perhaps it was actually a true story, that, that Jesus knew of an instance where a guy really did have this happen to him. And so Jesus uses the story as a sermon illustration, much like I did with Zakira, now known as Esther, in, in uh, the beginning of this one. So let's just look at the story for a minute and, and pretend that it was true. A, a, a man walking through a field, it, it stumbles on something. Now, now, for him to walk through this field means that it doesn't have a lot of crops growing on it. it perhaps it was kind of a, a worthless field. Like, it's it really probably not very pretty. Maybe some, uh, you know, shepherds have allowed their sheep to eat all the grass and just absolutely uh, obliterate and ruin this field. Maybe it was just really, really rocky, and so you just couldn't get anything to grow. It, it just was kind of outside of town, and it was just worthless. And so he's just making his way through it, walking through it, when all of a sudden his sandal just trips on something. And he stops and looks, and out of curiosity, goes back and starts looking and realizes there's something buried there. So he starts to do what he can to, to dig, pull it out. Eventually, it takes a long time, but he gets this box and he hauls it up and, oh my goodness, this is heavier than I expected. And he opens the lid and inside is gold and jewels and coins. I mean, this is more wealth than he's ever seen in his entire life. Like, like it's worth 10 times more than the price of this field. He can't believe it. I mean, he is so ecstatic. He's shocked to find it. And then he realizes, I am not a thief. I, I can't just take this. People are going to wonder where I got this money from. The only legitimate way he could get this is if he owned the field. But wait a second. He, he's not wealthy. I, he, he can't just go to the bank and take out a deposit, you know, get a loan. He, he, he can't afford this field. Wait, the, the only way he could get this field is if he sold everything. So he puts the treasure back in the ground, buries it all up, makes his way. He's got some joy bounding in his heart. This, is, this plan's going to work. That, that treasure's going to be his. Goes home, tells his wife, hey, honey, <laughs> we're selling the house. Puts the for sale sign out front. You know, starts, uh, you know, listing his, his sheep and his cattle on Craigslist. You know, he starts, he starts selling everything off that he can. And suddenly the neighbors start gathering going, hey, dude, what, what are you doing? Like, are you getting transferred to Nazareth? You know, did, did you lose your job? Or, you know, like, do we need to help out with some debts? You know, start a Kickstarter campaign? You know, what, what do we need to do to, to help you out? He goes, no, 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 it, it, it's fine. I, I'm, I just want to buy that property outside of town. Wait, that, that property? That thing's like ugly. Like, it's useless. Like, you can't grow anything on it. Like, that's why it is the way it is. Like, no, 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 that, that's foolish. What are you doing? And pretty soon they start thinking something's wrong with their friend. Like, maybe they need to, like, go and have him talk to, you know, the, the priest or, or committed to some sort of institution. Like, he, this is not right. This makes no sense. But to our guy, this makes complete sense. There's, there's no risk here. He knows that once he has the title to that land, he will be able to buy his own house back. He would be even willing to pay more for it. I mean, heck, he could probably go and build himself a whole new place. He's going to be able to buy all of his sheep and cattle, probably even more. He's going to be able to expand his business, maybe even hire someone to work for him. Like, there's no risk involved. This makes perfect sense. Now, the reason I tell this story is because the man in the parable did something that Jesus himself did. And we see it in Philippians 2. If you still have your Bible open there, look at it. 
After verse 5, being told that we should have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's just been talking about humility. We need to humble ourselves, not put ourselves first, put others first. And he's using Jesus now as an example. And so here's how he begins to describe the example of Jesus. Verse 6, though he was in the form of God, all right? So he's God. He's God the Son. He's equal with God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he wasn't going to use it for his own advantage, his own purpose. Instead, he emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He set aside his power, his throne, his privilege, all of heaven. He set it aside to come down, to be God's gift to the world, and to be wrapped in human flesh. I mean, it's like the ultimate episode of Undercover Boss. Anyone ever seen that, that show? You know, a boss of a company goes and, and works for a day or two or a week as like just a regular employee within the company so that he can understand what his employees are going through, maybe meet some of them. And then there's always that touching moment at the end where he, you know, says, hey, I'm going to give you this promotion. We're going to do this for your family. And, and it, you know, it's a touching show. But Jesus did it 2,000 years before they ever came up with the concept. God stepped down into human flesh. Absolutely unheard of. But it didn't stop there. He didn't just come and become a man. He keeps going. Verse 8. He even, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It wasn't enough just to come down and be one of us. He went to the cross to die for us. How in the world did he do it? I mean, we, we look at the parable in Matthew 13, and, and it makes sense. The guy sells his house, sells everything off because of the treasure. Why does Jesus give everything away, including his own life? What is his treasure? His treasure is you. Jesus came to earth, took on human flesh, set all of that aside, so that you could have your sin forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God. You are his treasure. You see, as God the Son, he was there in the very beginning when God began to create the heavens and the earth. And as God creates humanity, God says to himself, let us make man in our image. And so the image of Christ was put there within man. But then humans sinned against God. They broke the only rule that God had for them. And when that happened, the signature that Jesus signed on Adam and Eve suddenly became smeared, became wiped. But that's his masterpiece. And so like a a musician who loves his song or, or a mother who loves her child, Jesus loved his creation of humanity. And so he willingly came to earth, took on human flesh to experience the incomplete human experience, the complete human struggle so that he could die a human death, but to do it as a sinless person and therefore pay off the penalty of sin so that you and I could be free. And when you realize that Jesus treasured you, and that's why he went through the cross, it leads you to treasure Jesus. And when you treasure Jesus, suddenly this entire cost of Christmas series begins to make sense. You begin to understand why Mary and Jesus, Mary and Joseph sacrificed their reputation. Because they treasured Jesus. You begin to understand why the, the shepherds would, would risk it all and leave their sheep behind because they treasured Jesus. And you begin to understand why the wise men would travel a year, give expensive gifts 
just for a few moments with the Christ child because they treasured him. And you begin to understand why Esther would risk it all, her family, her friends, her culture, her religion, her life, because she treasured Jesus. And why could Esther treasure Jesus? Because she realized that he treasured her. Because he said, my daughter, come and follow me. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, Jesus is the light man reaching out his hand to you and he's saying, come, follow me. He went to a cross to die for your sin. He's your only path to true life. This world is going to entice you with all sorts of things. But Jesus is saying, none of that is worth it. I am. So he invites you to sacrifice. You might sacrifice your reputation. You might have to give up your job. You may have to give up a really bad habit. You may even have to break off an unhealthy relationship. But I'm telling you, Jesus is worth it. He treasures you. Will you treasure him? Some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time. You treasure Jesus. But right now, this life has been crashing in, and it's distracting you. All you're seeing is the rocks in the field. All you're seeing is how things aren't growing. Things aren't going the way you want. But buried right there in the heart of your life is your treasure. Jesus loves you. So whatever he asks you to sacrifice, will you do it? Will you give it up? It may be painful. He's worth it. Because he's your treasure. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us as individuals as an, and as an entire church family to treasure you. That we would treasure you above all things. That we would uh, uh, keep our eyes focused upon who you are and what you have done. Because Jesus, you treasured us. You gave up heaven to come to earth. You lived in the full human struggle, and yet you lived a sinless life. And so only you were worthy to take our place. Because if we had died, it had been to pay for our own sin. But because you had none, you could pay for the sin of the entire world. So this Christmas, Father, help us to treasure your son. Help us to treasure the gospel. Help us to treasure what was done for us. And help us to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.